Hey, Bill O'Reilly here. Welcome to the No Spin News. Thursday, July 1st, 2021. Stand up for your country, especially on this July 4th weekend. All right, so we have uh, an indictment of a Trump executive in New York City. I'm going to get to that uh, in a little while. It's a little nebulous, a little shaky, and uh, I'll give you all the facts. Okay, first, uh, Joe Biden's schedule. He's down in Miami. A little tape on him. Um, his schedule is meeting with the uh, people affected by the terrible condo collapse and the responders. And that's what Joe Biden should do. All right. Um, basically, you got a situation where it's it's a horror. Are you sleeping in your bed and your building collapses? And it's going to be like 160 people dead. Um, so it, it's good he's down there. I'm glad he's doing it. Um, there's a collapse itself. It happened last Thursday. And we have a, a special report next Tuesday on a kid, a 15-year-old, who survived this. Uh, it's an exclusive report. Um, I didn't want to do it. He lost his mother. And I don't want to. I want to give it some space. Um, so we'll have that on Tuesday. So uh, then Mr. Biden begins his uh, Bringing America Together tour uh, over the weekend, which we mocked yesterday. Um, and I told Bernie and Sid on WABC this morning, um, it reminds me of the Happy Together tour by the Turtles. Um, America's not together. It's not even close to being together. Uh, Mr. Biden is going to Michigan and uh, the vice president's going to Nevada and other people are going all over the place who celebrate the vaccine victory over COVID, all right. But they're not going to say, hey, thanks, Donald Trump, for getting the vaccine. And so it becomes political and boring. Nobody will even pay attention to it. But that's what's the weekend uh, going on. Okay, so uh, there's a pullout, and it's from Reuters News Agency, which is a left-wing news agency. And it's a bogus poll. A party affiliation is 45% Democrat, 35% Republicans. 8% 8% unknown. Why would you even bother doing a poll, Reuters? Why spend the money? All right, this is just a bogus poll. Um, 4,420 adults they uh, spoke to online. So I was about to throw this poll out entirely, but then I said, wait, it's broken down on party lines. So let's just analyze a Democrat response to approval of Joe Biden's presidential leadership. I think that's fair, right? So you got uh, 45% Democrats, and the first one is gun violence. Um, In April, 62% of Democrats said, yeah, Joe Biden, really, he's going to get guns under control. Now, 44%, 18% crater because people heard that stupid speech. Like, I'm going to, we're going to solve the gun violence situation by cracking down on gun dealers. Oh, stop, will you? So even Democrats, and I shouldn't say even in a pejorative way, but his own party, so there's a bunch of hooey. So he's collapsed 18% in two months on that. Economy has collapsed 12%. Okay, so in April, 75% approval. Now, 63% approval. And that's just wishful thinking. Because if you don't know you're paying more for everything, then I don't know what to tell you. You ought to give me your money, and I'll manage it for you if you're in that bad a condition. Taxation, uh, April, 64% of the Demo- Democrats love the uh, raising taxes. Now, 
it's 12, 52% down 12 points. All right, racial inequality. 72% said old Joe's doing a good job. In April, 66% now down six. Because Biden is stuck by his equity favoritism uh, platform that will give minorities more than will give white people. Which is unconstitutional, and we'll prove that in a moment. But Democrats like that. Immigration, finally, um, April, 52% approved. Not a big number. And now... 48 percent. So below the Mendoza line of 50, even Democrats, again, even his own party says, hey, Joe, you're not cutting it on immigration. So all of these are very bad numbers, all of them for Joe Biden. And I have told you the first six months of his administration has been a disaster. If you really step back and look at it unemotionally, it's been very bad. And I don't think he's going to improve, but I'm willing to let it unfold. As I said last night, I think President Trump campaigning to be president again is too early. Um, but that's just my opinion. Now, I'm going to meet with the president on Wednesday, as I mentioned to you. Um, that's uh, one week from today on next Thursday. We will have that interview here, nowhere else. So the first will carry it. The WABC will carry it on the radio. Um, uh, we will carry it on No Spin News. Um, and it'll be, I know what I want to do with that interview. It's going to be very, very different than the usual interviews Donald Trump. He knows that. He knows who I am. Um, and then we're going to talk about the uh, shows in December, the four shows, the history tour. So uh, we're going to get a, a preview of what he sees as being the benefit or deficit of those four shows. That'll be Next Thursday, a week from today, I will meet with him next Wednesday. I'll still do the show next Wednesday because that's the kind of guy I am. Going to do the show, then I'm going to zip down a jersey. Okay, so um, C-SPAN queried, queried, no LGBT stuff there. That is a legitimate word. Um, uh, Presidential historians, about 80% lean left in that crew. And asked to rank the best and worst presidents. So I'm going to take them uh, 15 at a time. And then we'll discuss where Donald Trump and Barack Obama fit. There's the first 15. Abraham Lincoln, no doubt he was the best president. Uh, I agree. Washington was second best. Then FDR, Teddy Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower. Pretty high for Dwight. Truman, Truman was a good president. Jefferson, good president. JFK, undefined because he was assassinated so quickly. Um, Ronald Reagan right after JFK, nine. That's a pretty good number for uh, President Reagan. Then Barack Obama, that's ridiculous. Lyndon Johnson was a bad president. Uh, he's 11 in the survey. Twelve. Uh, James Monroe, more of a pinheady guy, but I don't know. I don't know where I put him. Woodrow Wilson was not a good president. He's 13. William McKinley, again, he was assassinated. John Adams, 15. Okay, come back to me. So that that list is all right. I don't I'm not jumping up and down about anything as long as they have Lincoln in number one position. Um, I I thought Reagan did pretty well there. Okay, second 15, Madison. um, Little uh, Jimmy was uh, so so president. Quincy Adams much better. He was the anti-slavery guy. Polk uh, ran the government well and expanded U.S. territory, as you may know. Then Clinton, 19, is ridiculous. It's just a foolish position for him. U.S. Grant was a disaster as president. 
because of all the corruption. That's foolish. Uh, Bush the Elder, 21. No. Nope. Andrew Jackson, ooh, you can make a case. Strong president. Uh, William Howard Taft, 23. I don't know. Smart guy. Calvin Coolidge did pretty well. Grover Cleveland, nobody has any idea, including me. Jimmy Carter, 26, is absurd. He was a terrible president. James Garfield assassinated. We don't even know what he would have done. What's he doing at 27? They took him out early. Ford, he only served three years. What's going on? Uh, Bush, the younger, 29. Chester Arthur, 30. Okay, bottom, uh, 15. Nixon, we all know what happened to him. Benjamin Harrison didn't do anything. Rutherford Hayes didn't do anything. Martin Van Buren was corrupt. Zachary Taylor uh, died quickly, uh, didn't do anything. Herbert Hoover was a disaster. Warren Harding was worse than Hoover. Fillmore wasn't even there. Tyler was ridiculously terrible. Henry Harrison served 90 days in office. Then Trump. Then the final worst presidents, Pierce, Johnson, and Buchanan. Yes, they were terrible, all three of them. So you can't evaluate Barack Obama or Donald Trump. It's far too early. It's far too early. You don't know what their policies uh, are going to lead to. Trump did very well in the economy, but that's a short-term play. Um, What about Trump's uh, foreign policy? Is that better than Obama's? Obama's was pretty much let everybody do everything. Trump was a tough guy. Can't evaluate them now. Um, it's not fair. You've got to have at least 20 years after a president leaves office. Interesting, though. C-SPAN, ah, come on. All right, now there, here's, I think, probably the most interesting story of the day. So somebody leaked uh, to Politico that Vice President Harris's staff uh, doesn't like her or the job or Washington or the air conditioning. I, I don't even know. But it was a leak. All right, out of Harris's camp that Kamala doesn't have control over her staff. It's primarily it. Um, So somebody wants to hurt her. Now, as you know, uh, President Biden put her in charge of the border. And in a passive-aggressive stance, Kamala Harris said, "Mm, I'm not going down there. And only went down there last week when ordered because Trump went this week. So uh, there is not, and I told you this from the jump, There is no goodwill between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Biden doesn't like her because in a debate in the Democratic primary, Ms. Harris said that Joe Biden's a racist. Remember, I'm the little girl on a bus. That little girl was me. And Biden is not going to forget that. So Biden is looking for ways to kind of give her a little little of this. Harris knows it. That's why Harris doesn't want anything to do with the border. So writing in the New York Times, a Fordham University political scientist named Christina Greer says this, quote, No one has been able to solve the complicated issue of immigration and undocumented immigrants coming to the U.S. border. Yet Ms. Harris is charged with solving it. As a child of not one but two immigrants and the number two leader of an imperial nation, that's us, she is charged with telling people in Guatemala do not come to the United States. She undertakes tasks at the pleasure of the president. But this particular role reminds me of Admiral Akbar's declaration in Return of the Jedi. It's a trap. And Professor Greer is correct. So isn't this interesting? Okay. 
So after reading that column, Ezra Klein, who is a Democrat fanatic masquerading as a columnist for The New York Times, tweets out, this seems right. Kamala Harris will probably be the Democratic nominee in 24-28. Biden's team should be giving her portfolios that make it likely she'll win. Instead, they're giving her impossible problems that will likely become liabilities, unquote. So, you know, there's no pretense about where the New York Times is supposed to be a newspaper. It's not. They're basically working for the Democrats. And Ezra Klein is, too. Now, should I condemn Ezra Klein? If I did that, if I condemned Ezra Klein, then I'd have to condemn Karl Rove, who writes a column for the Wall Street Journal, because Mr. Rove works for the Republican Party. So I can't do that. As long as people know where you're coming from, and certainly everybody knows where Karl Rove is, I don't know, I don't think anybody cares about Ezra Klein, but um, these newspapers hire these columnists who are party people. That's who they are. I wouldn't do that. I think Mr. Rose is a smart guy. I don't know about Klein, but I wouldn't. If I'm a newspaper editor, I'm not hiring a party apparatchnik to write for my paper or be on my cable show. I never use party people. I mean, during the campaign when I was doing the O'Reilly Factor, I never used surrogates, ever. Trump wanted to come on, he come on, but I'm not using your people. And I didn't do that for Biden either. You know, I mean, it was uh, not Biden, Obama. It was Trump versus Obama. Uh, I didn't do that for Obama either. They wouldn't use them. Everybody else used the surrogates. I wouldn't do it because I know what they're going to say. They have to say that stuff. That's boring. Okay, so Kamala Harris, keep your eye on this. Now, she's never going to be honest and say, hey, Joe Biden's trying to get me. But Biden is. Okay. Uh, this is another bogus thing. So Nancy Pelosi uh, rammed through uh, a House um, vote that uh, puts together a select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Why? FBI is already doing that. Okay? And you in charge of anything, Nancy Pelosi, is political. And you're going to spin it. You're not going to be honest. You're not an honest woman. You're not. You never have been. You're a party person. Okay. So... (laughs) All this is, and I told you yesterday, is to embarrass Trump should Trump start to run again for president and to embarrass the Republican Party for the 2022 midterms. That's all this is. So today, uh, Pelosi appoints Liz Cheney to be on the select committee. Well, okay, uh, but uh, Liz is going to lose her seat in Wyoming, I predict. Um, because she hates Trump. And she'll lose. Maybe I'm wrong. I was in Wyoming a couple of weeks ago, but I don't see a lot of support for Liz Cheney there. Anyway, uh, the committee will be run by House Democrats, Pelosi. Okay, we'll have subpoena power so they can drag me in if they want. Uh, and will not, will not be given a deadline to finish its work. I mean, it's going forever. What a colossal waste of money. All right, let's get to the Trump Organization. Um, the DA in Manhattan, Cy Vance, fanatical leftist, invite, uh, indicted Alan Weisselberg, the CFO, chief financial officer of the Trump Organization. He's 73 years old. Um, and basically, uh, Vance says that Weisselberg took perks like uh, cars 
and private school tuition for one of his grandchildren and a free apartment. He took it and didn't put it on his taxes. Okay, that's, that's the beef. It's pretty low-level beef, right? Most of the time, this stuff, and this happens all the time, and I'm not justifying it. If Weisselberg did that, try to get around paying taxes by getting perks and keeping them quiet, you can't do that. Violation of law. But usually that's settled. It's settled quickly. Weisselberg pays a fine, pays back taxes. It's not a dog and pony show that CNN and MSNBC can run with all day long. All three network broadcasts will do it. Weisselberg, Weisselberg, Weisselberg. Um, And Vance is hoping that Weisselberg goes, don't hurt me. I'll tell you bad things about Donald Trump. That's all this is. Now, I wrote a message of the day, and I hope you check in on BillOReilly.com every morning for the message of the day on this, where I stake out the uh, absolute hatred that Cy Vance and the Attorney General of New York, Letitia James, have for Donald Trump. For years, I've been trying to get anything on him. Um, And this is the best I can do, that the CFO of the Trump Organization may have uh, taken a free apartment that he didn't tell anybody about. Now, Trump's going to say, and the lawyers are going to say, it's a gifts. You gave him gifts. But there's a certain amount of money uh, if you get a gift that you have to tell the IRS about. Yeah, that's what this is. All right? This is all about that. Uh, again, I'm not excusing anything, but I am telling you the truth. The truth is this is a political prosecution. That is, goes against the spirit of our republic. It is fueled by people who despise and hate Donald Trump to an extent that's unnerving, disturbing, and taxpayer money is being used to this. Okay. Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby did it. Let me get that up front. If I'm a jury member in Pennsylvania, guilty. So, as you may know, he was convicted of assaulting a woman at his home, sex assault, uh, sentenced to up to 10 years of prison, has served almost three. So yesterday, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, which is elected, not appointed, all right, threw the case out because Cosby was lied to by the attorney general's office of the state. Was it the attorney general or the district attorney? One of them. Previous prosecutor. Anyways, a state prosecutor in Pennsylvania that lied to Cosby about this case causing Cosby to make statements that pretty much convicted him. So it looks to me like the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did the right thing in throwing it out. Because you can't, if you're a prosecutor, we, just as we talked with the Trump stuff, you can't be manipulating the law. You know, if, if Cosby made a deal with the, uh, with the prosecutor and then the deal was reneged upon, even if it's not the same guy, the office has to hold the deal. So Cosby's out. So he's 83. He's never going to come back. Um, that's that. So as I said at the top of the program, um, Joe Biden is holding firm to equity. Equity is favoring one group of Americans over other groups because of skin color or minority status, LGBT, whatever it may be. Okay, that's unconstitutional. So we are all, all Americans, all 330 million of us, supposed to be given an equal opportunity to pursue happiness. 
That's the Constitution. That's why it's built. Biden doesn't care. He doesn't understand the Constitution. He, he's just doing what he's told. We've said that a million times. So now the courts are weighing in on. The first case is a restaurant case. All right. So it was brought in Tennessee on behalf of Antonio Vitolo, who owns Jake's Bar and Grill in Harriman, Tennessee. So uh, Mr. Vitolo says he's not getting his share of COVID relief fund because it's going to minorities first. And the court said, yeah, it is. Antonio's right. It's got to stop. Okay, that's number one. Number two, U.S. judge blocks $4 billion in debt relief because of COVID to minority farmers. And this is easy. You've got to spread the COVID money out among all farmers of all colors. You can't just say black farmers get more. The judge says that. No. Done. But just the fact that the progressive left and the president of the United States wants this is appalling. And we don't live in that kind of country. We have a constitution that bans that racial preferences. We can't do that. But they'll keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. So killing the mob... uh, when I go out and I promote the book, I say that organized crime loves Joe Biden. And a lot of people, what? Wait, wait, wait. And I say the reason they, they love him is the border. Because organized crime controls 80% of the distribution of narcotics in the USA. Billions and billions of dollars flowing to the mob. Because Biden has opened the border, pretty much collapsed any kind of barriers or uh, any kind of orderly processing of migrants, that's done. Most of the Border Patrol and ICE have to process the hundreds of thousands of people pouring in here. That takes away from drug interdiction. So the Border Patrol said yesterday, quote, the rising amount of fentanyl is being found in the desert transported by increasingly brazen smugglers who are exploiting stretched federal resources, unquote. The smuggling of fentanyl is up 4,000%. Thank you, Joe Biden. Fentanyl will kill you. Not if, when. Okay? It'll, it'll kill you. Cartel loves fentanyl. Cheap to make. Everybody, all the drug addicts like it, buying it. They don't care if they die anyway. You wouldn't be a drug addict if you cared. Drug addicts want to die, most of them. Okay, so, yeah, fentanyl, I'll take it. 4,000%. Meth seizures up 85%. Heroin up, cocaine up, everything up. Up, 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 up. Countries awash with dangerous drugs. Thanks, Joe. Does Joe know that? idea. See, I never could say this about Barack Obama. Barack Obama's on top of everything. Mistakes he made, he, he knew. Go by that. Okay. So uh, Donald Trump with the border yesterday. You might have seen it on the Hannity program last night. Town Hall is uh, with the Texas governor. You know, predictable. Joe's ruined the border. I had it under control. Okay. So uh, CNN sends Jim Acosta, the chief Trump hater in, in CNN, and I saying something. They sent him to the border, and here's what happened, go. Thank you, everybody. Congratulations. 
Ms. Trouble, you apologize about January 6th. Okay. Now, the reason Acosta did that is because CNN is dying. And the only way that CNN won't go into the grave is if Donald Trump becomes a focus of attention again. So Acosta, you know, just stupid. And the crowd, of course, knows it's stupid and they don't like him anyway. But just think about this. This is CNN's main guy, goes down and does something that stupid. And it is, it's just stupid. What do you think? The president is going to say, yeah, yeah, I apologize. I, it's all my fault. You know, you want to ask a question, at least that's an intelligent question. Okay, so let me back up the uh, CNN. Uh, boy, this is second quarter of uh, the year is in television ratings, Okay. This is compared to uh, June to June 2020. CNN prime time has dropped 57%. So that means it's lost six out of every 10 viewers it had last year. Gone. Into the wind. Okay. MSC, MSC, I'm sorry. MS, NBC. You see, I'm, I'm so wired I can't even say it. They're down 36% primetime. Fox News down 42% primetime. 42%. Now, I worked there more than 20 years. We never had anything close to that. Ever. So what's going on is people are fatigued. That's another word for bored. That's what's happening. And the worst thing you can do if you make a movie or a television show or on the radio, the worst thing you can do is be boring. But with CNN and MSNBC, oh, I said it, they don't have any credibility at all. Fox has some credibility with the conservative, traditional American. They still have some credibility. The other two don't have any. So even the liberals go, hey, am I going to waste my time watching an hour of that? No. Shocking. Another shocking situation is in San Francisco. So uh, this hurts me. I don't know why. I mean, I've always loved that area, the Bay Area, Monterey, uh, Big Sur, Carmel, North Marin County, San Rafael, Mendocino. I just think it's a tremendous part of America. I love going there. Weather's great. So much to do. Food is good. Well, San Francisco is done. It's like CNN. They're done. So the Chamber of Commerce of the city, they're worried because they're not booking conventions. Uh, People are leaving. Their tax base is crumbling. Crime is everywhere. Homeless have taken over. So they do a poll. All right, it's an internet poll. Um, About 520 San Francisco residents, 44% of the 520, it's a small sample, so they intend to leave San Francisco in the next few years. 44%. And it's hard to leave your home, okay? 70% believe the quality of life in San Francisco has drastically declined, and it has. 
70%. And that's the most liberal town in the country. Not like conservatives are angry. There are no conservatives. <laughs> Basically speaking. So uh, San Francisco, this is what happens when you put progressive leftists in charge. It's happened in Chicago. It's happened in New York City. So, I, you know, when I talk to people who are liberal, and I say, again, I know a significant amount of liberal people, I, I put this forth. They never have an answer. Their only answer is, I hate Trump. That's it. Or I hate Bush the Younger when it, that was going on, the Iraq War, whatever it may be. I love Barack Obama. Okay. But it's a matter of administrating. It's a matter of doing your job. And the progressive left can't do its job because it doesn't want to. It doesn't want to solve the crime problem. It wouldn't even admit the crime problem is caused by young black males in drug gangs. They wouldn't even admit it. <laughs> you know, it's like saying, if you have a vicious dog, oh, that dog's not vicious. No, no, no. It's a chunk out of somebody's leg. But no, not vicious. Okay, now, one of the reasons that San Francisco is uh, falling apart in addition to people leaving. And by the way, another stat, 650%, 650% exiting from 219 to the end of 220. All right, people leaving up 650%. One of the reasons is because San Francisco authorities in the city and county won't enforce a law. So they're breaking into cars, all right? Car break-ins up 700% in some parts of San Francisco, 700%. Fisherman's Wharf in Chinatown. Used to be those two were the safest. When I ran a car in San Francisco two years ago, at the counter, the guy said to me, don't park the car in the street. If you park the car in the street, so we need to break into the car, particularly if you have anything on the seats, but they'll break in just to look in the glove compartment. They'll smash the window, and they'll break in. I said, well, is this every day? He goes, all of our cars are broken into. And I said, is there a reason? Because even if the cops catch the person who breaks the window and, and goes into the car, they're not prosecuted. No charges. There you go. New study w- reveals which U.S. city has the worst traffic. I get to told you this. Uh, New York. Start spreading the news. You don't want to drive here. So one of the reasons that New York has the worst traffic in the country, and this includes Newark, New Jersey, and Connecticut, all right, is because there are 16 million people in the New York City metro area. There are 600,000 people in Wyoming, okay, in all the state. 16 million people. And when I was growing up, most families had one car. Now they have three cars. Because the urchins have cars. And maybe grandma has a car. Okay? 16 million. Do the math. In addition, the roads are falling apart. Bottles everywhere. And this and that. Ba-boom, ba-ba. And, and under Cuomo, the governor of New York, you can pretty much drive whenever speed you want. Now, I never got that because the state needs a revenue. I still drive. I drive over the speed limit. I'm not going to lie to you. But I always cruise it so there are people going faster than me. And there are. 
a lot faster. So if I'm doing 68-70 in a 55, I got guys doing 80-85. Okay, like this. And they say, well, well, how can traffic be that bad if you're doing that? That's at night. I just drive at night. When I come out here to eastern Long Island from my house in Nassau County, which is 20 miles from the city, I got to drive 9, 10 at night. You can't come out during the day. You can't get here in three, four hours. Okay. Number two, L.A. L.A. My God. All right. There, there's a perpetual rush hour. It's not like morning, afternoon. It's everywhere. Unless you know the local roads, you're dead on five. You're dead. And it goes all the way down to the border. It goes, you know, San Diego used to be a little bit of a respite, not anymore. And now they have toll roads you can go on, which not quite as crowded, but L.A. is a disaster. Chicago. Chicago is basically you're stuck in traffic because there's a Cunningham Expressway and a Kennedy, and, and, but there's not a lot of options. So, and then Houston and Dallas. When I lived in Dallas, it wasn't so bad. Just take Northwest Highway down into town, I never really got in a traffic jam. Now it's crazy. So those are the top five. Wichita, Kansas is the best. Least traffic in the United States. Wichita, Kansas. This day in history. July 4th, 1863. The Battle of Gettysburg begins. Now, it's 158 years ago. Most, they don't teach history in school anymore. So Robert E. Lee is a very, very smart general. And we wrote the book, Killing Lincoln. And if you really care about the Civil War, you got to read that book. And Battle of Gettysburg is big in that book. So Lee uh, knew that he had to invade the North because there's too much pressure on Virginia, in particular, his home state. And the Union forces were getting larger and larger. They weren't doing so well. All right. The Union generals were bad. McClellan was a disaster. And until Lincoln pulled U.S. Grant out of the West and brought him in as a commander, Lee was winning. So Lee says, we're going to go up to Pennsylvania to an area of Gettysburg, just north of the Maryland line, okay? And we're going to take some territory in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and hold it. And then we're going to pivot and we might go right down and get Abe to Washington, D.C., because Gettysburg's not far away. So two armies mass, Lee's army and the Union army under General Meade. They mass. Now, the Union forces, they have more guys, and they have more cannon, and they have more bullets. But the rebels were better fighters because a lot of the Union guys were draftees, okay? Whereas the rebels, they don't really have a formal draft, and they were experienced soldiers, So then the fight starts. Bang. And it was the most hellacious battle on American soil in our history. And it was the turning point of our country. Three days. And they really couldn't move. All right, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then Lee says, I'm running out of money. I'm running out of uh, ammo. I'm running out of food. I'm running out of everything. I got to break through. I got to beat these guys. Pickett's charge. Union wipes him out, shoots him down. Lee has to retreat. Battle of Gettysburg won by the North. Lincoln 
goes to Gettysburg, Gettysburg Address, all right, because they uh, inaugurated a federal cemetery there. I saw the Gettysburg Address handwritten in the White House. Barack Obama took me up to the Lincoln bedroom where it's in glass. I almost cried because that's how emotional I, I get about this. If Lee had won, Lincoln might have had to sue for peace, and we would be two countries today. Now, slavery would have ultimately been banished, but I, it would have been a very, very different America. So think about that on the 4th of July. So the Battle of Gettysburg took place 158 years ago today. Again, Killing Lincoln, your best source of information for all of this, and you should know it, and so should the urchins. Because if you, tonight at dinner, sit down with your kids or grandkids and go, hey, Battle of Gettysburg started today, you'll get, uh, uh, okay. Uh, uh, and maybe they'll look it up, but they don't know anything about it. And that's what happened. And that's an amazing occurrence. All right, we've got a good mail segment, some uh, disagreement with me, which I like. And then we have a final thought about uh, our culture, American culture. Back in a moment. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. All right, let's go to the mail. Noreen... I do not know if President Biden will go to hell this off our discussion of Mr. Biden abortion at Catholic Church. It appears he's preparing for it by turning America into a living hell. <laughs> That's pretty witty, Noreen. Andrew, hey, Bill, love killing the mob. Fantastic read. Ben Franklin said it best. Everyone is born ignorant, but it takes a lot of work to become stupid. I love Ben. Don't you love Ben? Hence, we see this in our cities falling apart, and nobody doing much about it. It's a good point, Andrew. David, while you may have a problem with these various statues being removed from the Capitol grounds, many more Americans do have a problem with it, Bill. I totally resent having our history removed. It's all about location, David. So in the Capitol building, if you have slavers on display with no context, like John Calhoun, Roger Taney, that's a little problematic. Now, I'm not for banning statues, but you've got to put them in the proper context. So somebody who was fighting to uphold slavery does not, in my humble opinion, deserve a place in the U.S. Capitol. 
You can put them in the Smithsonian. I don't have a problem. Dan Langan, Louisville, Kentucky. I respectfully disagree with you on Donald Trump getting reelected. Myself and several colleagues voted for him twice. I can't vote for him again. His ego is out of control. It's why he defeated himself in 2020. Why can't he admit he lost the election? Okay, so Dan, a lot of people feel the same way. But remember, 72 million votes for Donald Trump. And he is an economic genius. I'm sorry, he is. And if the economy goes south, and which is heading this, that way now, people are going to overlook the bombastic behavior, I think. Barry, concierge member. Bill, Facebook comes in second to the iPhone in influencing our lives. Facebook has two sides, good and evil. The good side is positive and brings people and families together. The evil side is negative and mean. I agree with that. I'm not on Facebook. I've never been on Facebook. I'm frightened of Facebook. I have a face. I have lots of books. I don't need to combine them. Uh, okay. Kip. Absolutely right about people not listening, Bill. Very obvious in restaurants where you have to ask for a fork, a spoon, or cream for your coffee. You are usually talking to the backs of the wait staff as they walk away. Whatever you do, don't drive from a fast food restaurant without checking the bag. Yeah, I know. Uh, Chantal Leffler, El Cajon, California. Mr. O'Reilly, can't we wait to read your new book, Killing the Killers? But doesn't it make you a traitor to divulge classified information? No, because this is all in the past. No lives are at stake and no national security is at stake. We would not do that. We did get information that nobody else has, and it will be in Killing the Killers. And you should know it. You absolutely should know it. Uh, Killing the Mob is easy to read. Kelly Reeves, okay. And we hope everybody will check that out. Killing the Mob, still number one. I'll deal with that in a moment. Um, if you go to uh, BillOReilly.com, you could pre-order Killing the Killers out November 2nd. You can also get all kinds of great stuff and buy tickets to the Trump History Show. Word of the day, do not be picky you now when writing to BillOReilly.com. Final thought in a moment. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. So here's the final thought. We got another dose of good news yesterday from the New York Times. Uh, eight weeks at number one. Look at this. Look at this. Book's been out eight weeks. Seven weeks number one, I think, in the New York Times right now. They have to be going nuts over there. Really. I mean, this is a phenomenon now. It's not just a book. So why do people like killing the mob? Number one, it's honest. Okay? As all the killing books are. No spin in there. No propaganda. No speculation. None of that, okay? It's all facts. And the facts are interesting to people because we all live them. We know a lot of these people. Frank Sinatra, the rock and rollers, the actors, Kennedy, Marilyn Monroe. These are all contemporized. And Killing the Killers is contemporized too. We live this. And so it's more, there's more connection here. 
So that's why killing the mob, boom, like this. And I'm not bragging. I'm grateful for everybody who has supported the book. I want you all to have a great Fourth of July weekend. I'll be checking in. I'll have a column on Sunday. All right, we'll be doing all kinds of stuff throughout the weekend. But I really want you to have fun. Keyword, F-U-N, fun. We'll see you on Tuesday.